0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Robert Chong, and I serve as a pastor of care here at Midtown, and I'm so excited to be here with you, but let me tell you, whenever I'm navigating through an unfamiliar city or airport, I'm nervous. It's hard for me to relax. I'm not quite sure what to do, or maybe I'm wearing a brand new pair of shoes, which I'm not this morning, um, but it's just like, I just can't, just can't relax because they're not broken in yet. But Something just happens whenever I smell the aroma of food that reminds me of home. I go, ooh, I'm not relax now. Or maybe I'm sitting and spending time with friends, good friends, and whenever we get together, even though it may not be often, I get together with them and it feels like, ah, oh, I'm back again, right? Familiar can be really a good friend of ours, right? Familiarity. But... We're dealing with Psalm 23 today. And, and I know that we're living in a culture of new and novel, right? How, how often do you get new phones, for instance? You know, oh, maybe I hit a soft spot there. <laughs> but we're always thinking that new is better and that old is okay. But I want to tell you that for the familiar Psalm of Psalm 23 is a beautiful gift that the Lord has given us. A timeless, eternal truth that will never go sour. And I want you to know that, that God is familiar with all of who you are in your reality as well. Psalm 23 it does, in just six verses, reassures us of God's loving presence, God's protection, God's comfort. And we need that, don't we? Every single moment of our lives, we need to be reassured that God is with us. But before we get started, I want you just to take a a moment as I'm talking and jot down something in your bulletin. You've got some blank space underneath Psalm 23. And I want you to jot down a reality that has you discouraged or maybe frustrated. Or maybe it has you distracted, like whatever's going on right now and you can't hear my voice or you're not listening to the words from my mouth. Um, whatever is in front of you that ha- that's right here or maybe has your emotions going up and down, whatever has you obsessing to the point that you can't sleep at night because you're anxious, whatever that, po- whatever that may be, jot it down. And the reason why I'm asking you to do this is because I want you to be aware, but more importantly, I want you to be aware as we hear from God of what is distracting you from hearing his word, but more importantly, I want you to know your reality in a way that you can receive God's reality into your reality from Psalm 23, does that make sense? If you're a Christian, Christ is in you and you are in Christ, right? I mean, there was no denying that, but let's, let's take that to the realities discussion. You know, too often we can, we can take the realities that we hear and we love and we sing and we embrace here on Sunday mornings, but something happens as soon as we leave here, and it's like we put our spiritual realities over here and our life realities over here, and sometimes they don't come together, or sometimes this your spiritual bucket seems to have just drained out so it has nothing to offer to your realities over here. Or maybe the reality seemed to clash. But if you're a Christian, here's good news. Christ is in your realities. And you are in his realities. That's good news that we have to remember. You know, your reality is not a surprise to God. Your reality, whatever it is, is not too big for God, is not too small for God. It doesn't, God, doesn't cause God to panic. It doesn't frustrate him. He knows all these things about you. But what, you want, what I want you to know and believe that God cares about your reality. Whatever you're facing, whatever you may have jotted down, God cares for your reality and you. We gotta remember that God is not a rookie. Your reality is not the first time that he's ever seen such a thing. Your reality is not his first rodeo. But here's the beautiful thing. Psalm 23 may be familiar to you, but what's more important is that God is familiar with your reality. And so that's what we need to to keep in mind as we work our way through this text today. And that's why God inspired David to write this psalm. God knows full well that of the realities that we face in a fallen world and he wants to offer hope and help in real ways. So let's pray before we get to Psalm 23. Father, thank you so much for this time you've given us. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit works in spite of our struggles, in spite of our unbelief, in spite of our fears. God, thank you for your word Thank you that your spirit helps us to understand your word and believe your word, and we pray that your spirit would bring just great comfort and joy to us as we work through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the psalm opens up with a very straight word, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a big statement, isn't it? But David was a shepherd, and he knew that shepherds took care of every need of the sheep. But more importantly, David experienced the faithful shepherding of his God. And throughout the years of a shepherd and throughout his years as a king, God was faithful every moment of David's life. And you know, the sheep knows who feeds them, who protects them, and who cares for them. And the sheep lack nothing. But God knows that we need concrete realities in order to understand him who is spirit, right? It's just really hard. God can just be a concept, but God says, I want the concepts to become a concrete reality, and I'm going to use language that you can relate to. So God says, I'm your shepherd, and you're my sheep. Listen to the good news here. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Isn't that sweet? That Jesus is the good shepherd, and he lays down his life. And Think about this. I'm, I'm planting a seed now for later. At the very end of the sermon, we prep for communion. And every week, we get the privilege of remembering that Jesus laid down his life for us as his sheep. But let's read another beautiful description of our shepherd from Isaiah 40. He tends his flock like a shepherd. Listen now. He gathers the lamb in his arms. Such imagery, right? And carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Let's just stop there. Stop there. Your good shepherd gathers you in his arms. And what does he do? He places you close to his heart. You can't ask for better than that. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. He continues to say, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands or with the breadth of his hands marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or waved the mountains on a scale and hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Counselor. I want you to know and remind you that God is very intentional with his words. God wants you to know that he's a tender, loving shepherd, but he also wants you to know that he's all powerful and he's all wise. Why do you think he tells us the God who shepherds you and holds you close to his heart is the God who created the heavens and the earth? He holds the oceans in his hands And he weighs the mountains in the scales of his hands. Is that the kind of shepherd that you need? That's the kind of shepherd you have in Jesus. That's good news. If Jesus is our shepherd, then we are his sheep. Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. God intentionally uses different types of animals to represent different types of realities. God uses sheep to signify people who belong to him, who have their trust and faith in Jesus Christ as their shepherd. He uses the term goats to to signify unbelievers, those who don't believe in him and don't trust in him. And he uses the term wolves for those who pretend to be like sheep only to get into the corral to devour the sheep uh, who belong to the shepherd. But David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Hopefully it strikes you that this is the very sobering but yet confident declaration of David. I don't know about you, but every time I read that very first verse of Psalm 23, I am just riveted by God. I said, God, I know you're my shepherd, but I want so many other things. I don't know about you, but you may believe that maybe a better home or a better health or a better family or better behaved kids might be what you need. You might think you need more money or more vacation days or a better job in order for you to be satisfied by your needs. But God says, no, 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 no. I'm your shepherd, you shall not Well, every time that I go overseas, I am just punched in the face about how materialistic I am. Back in um, 2003, I went to Indonesia, and uh, we were going in this SUV to pick up this family for a worship service, and so we're traveling through the fields of this pasture, and I was expecting to see a neighborhood open up before my eyes. But instead, I saw this solitary construction that had four poles, on the corner to serve as the corners of the home. And there were plywood walls that did not reach to the ground because I could see the dirt floor. And then there was a grass roof. I go, oh, wow, is this a house? And then the family came out and they came out full of smiles because they knew that they were getting ready to worship God with God's people. In our eyes, from our standards, we say they lacked everything. But in God's eyes and in their eyes, they lacked nothing. Why do you think that David can say, Lord, you're my shepherd, I shall not want? Because he had firsthand experience that God took care of his every need. God tells us in Second Peter 1 that he has given us everything that we need for a godly life, that through Christ, he has given us his divine power and his great and precious promises so that we might participate in his divine nature, so that we can have a life with God. So we might ask ask the question, what do I need to live a godly life? And the answer is more simple than you think. We need God, we need all of him, But he has given all of himself to us freely and fully in christ that might be something that god wants you to think about and consider today is god what you need is god enough for you will he satisfy you in the way that you are craving if the answer is no maybe you're craving the wrong thing Because I agree that the most satisfied and content Christians are those who believe that God is enough for them and that he meets every need. Well, let's move on. God provides what you need. Reading the next verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Notice who's doing all the work here, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Why does God make you lie down? In green pastures. Well, first of all, sheep don't naturally lie down in green pastures because if they're fearful of dangerous animals, if they're fearful of dangerous and pesky pets that can get into their nostrils or bury themselves underneath their wool, or if there is competition or commotion within the flock, or if they're hungry, they won't lie down. And I think that you and I are a lot like sheep. And that when we find ourselves struggling to rest and relax because we're anxious about something or we're fearful about some part of our reality, or maybe there's conflict between you and somebody else, and that you're filled with bitterness or judgment or maybe even self-righteousness, or you could be frustrated or aggravated by something at work or something at home, or maybe you're just downright discontent. Nothing makes you happy right when we're like that when our reality is right in front of our face what's our natural tendency do we naturally go oh lord let me hear what you have to say through your word <laughs> instead here's what we do can you tell me can you tell me what help i need can you tell me something that will soothe my soul right but instead god says no i want you to lie down in the green pastures of my word My word is living and active. My word will remind you of my promises that I'm a good and faithful God. And as Johnny just really just exalted God today through listing out all those promises, what we really need during our time of need is to be reminded of God's truths and his promises. What do you need as you sit in your reality right now? Will you, will you lie down in God's green pastures represented by his word? When's the last time you sought rest in God's word? When's the last time that you could sit still enough to know that God is God? But he also leads you beside still waters. Sheep not only need food, but they also need drink. Loving sheep, make sure they lead their sheep to clean, still waters, and they don't take them to stagnant, diseased, filled waters. But listen to when Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink of water from the well. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What in the world is he talking about here? Well, Jesus makes sure we understand what he's talking about. In John 7, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living waters will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit. The Spirit of God enables you and leads you to still waters. The spirit of God is what refreshes your soul, is what makes his word come alive to you. It it makes God, and it gives you the ability to taste and see that the Lord is good. We can't achieve that sort of drink on our own. No, regardless of how hard we try. But God is wanting to give lavishly and without end. That's why he leads us Um, to still waters, but also he restores our souls. Why does your soul need to be restored? Does your soul need to be restored? Yes, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for your honesty. Our soul needs to be restored because life is hard, right? Whenever we encounter troubles, or suffering and trials and temptation, it distorts our soul, it drains our souls. That's why oftentimes we use words like, man, I am so weary, I am so troubled, I am so dry, and, and I feel like I have no life to go on. God knows that your soul needs to be restored, do you? Sometimes when life gets the better of us, we can live like sheep without a shepherd. Psalm 119 says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. When the heartache and the chaos and confusion of life gets the better of us, our hearts begin to fill with the cement of unbelief. And when that happens, Hebrews 3 says that we will turn away from the living God due to our unbelief. And when the unbelief fills our hearts, here's what we say to our God and our shepherd. He says, we will say, God, you're not my shepherd. I still like everything. You can't make me lie down in green pastures. You can't lead me beside still waters because you have never restored my soul. Prove it, God. You haven't worked for me. Why should I believe in you? Right? Sometimes we have that response, whether we admit it or not. But God knows that reality, and he's not turned off by it. In fact, Jesus says, whenever one of his sheep strays, he leaves the other sheep to pursue them. And when he retrieves that lost sheep, he rejoices more over that lost sheep who has returned than those who did not wonder. Jesus wants you to know that nothing, he will allow no one to snatch you out of his hands and to separate you from his love. But one of the reasons why I ask you to write down on your paper, what's your reality? Because I wonder if, if your reality that you might have jotted down is, is causing your soul to be drained. And it might be the, gives you the the real opportunity to know how you need to be restored. Maybe the Lord needs to restore your peace if you're filled with anxiousness. Maybe the Lord needs to restore your faith because your doubts have multiplied so much that you don't know what you believe anymore. Or maybe you've lost all hope You you are despairing to the point of just wanting death. And you need God to restore hope in you and to restore a desire in you to just live. Maybe you are so weary and worn out that you need God to restore strength in you so that you can persevere. But God will answer your prayers for being restored in him. Lord, you're my shepherd. I feel like I lack everything. Lord, I know that's not true. I know I, I, you need to lead me um, to still waters and make me lie down in green pastures. Lord, would you please restore the peace in my soul? Would you please restore hope to me? Would you please restore faith in you? Would you please restore um, just the, a sense that you love me because I'm desperate right now. God will answer those prayers. He will delight in answering those prayers. But the passage goes on to say, he leads you in paths of righteousness. Why in the world would he say that right after he said, he'll restore your soul Well, his paths of righteousness, which is according to his word, according to his truths, his promises, his commands, those are the pathway to life and love. Read with me what Jesus says in John 15. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. What Jesus is not saying is that we will fall out of, we will fall out of God's love if we disobey. We know that's a lie, right? Because God promises nothing can separate you from his love even in your disobedience. But what God is saying that in order to experience and to enjoy his love, keep his commandments. Our souls are never restored in disobedience. You say you want to be restored or have peace with God, but but you're still looking at porn. You say you want to be restored, but you're still holding on to unforgiveness towards somebody. You say that you want to be restored, but you still are convinced that another woman or another man will make you happier. On a lighter note, you say you want to lose weight, but you're still eating 20 Big Macs a day, (laughs) right? It don't work that way. Unfortunately, we as Christians have this distorted view and understanding of obedience. It's like, oh, I have to obey, right? Um, best case, it's something, it's the right thing to do. Worst case, it's life draining. When you talk to any unbeliever, what's the one of the first things they'll tell you why they don't wanna be a Christian? Well, you're gonna take away all the fun, right? How often do we still hold on to that notion? But when we obey, we experience God's love and God is glorified. Listen to a testimony of a woman um, who just met God in a real and fresh way recently. She writes, I constantly live my life to prove God wrong. I sought pleasure in everything apart from God. I told God and myself that he is not enough when in fact he promised I will lack nothing with him. But you couldn't have told me that then. I can honestly say that for the last 10 years of my walk with the Lord, that I was living to preserve or deny whatever lie I wanted to believe on any given day. I believe I was just trying to make it to the next day. All it did was leave me dissatisfied and destroyed. I lost hope because when I continued to put all my hope in myself, I was always left dissatisfied. I was not made to be apart from him. For the first time in my walk with Christ, this has been the most comfort and peace I have ever experienced. Until now, I had never known what being obedient actually does for my heart on a day-to-day basis. For the first time, I have hope. And not hope in myself, but a hope in a perfect God, I'm finally learning that I truly lack nothing in Christ. It truly is a beautiful feeling to rest in the love of Christ, knowing he's enough, that I have more than enough. Praise God for the way that the Spirit works, not just in this woman's life, but in all of our lives as his people. God does this work because he loves his sheep. But the passage goes on, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's something that I want you to remember. The reason why we need to be made to lie down in the green pastures of God's word and to be led to his still waters through his spirit and to be restored and to walk in paths of righteousness because we go through dark valleys, because life is hard and the enemy wants to rob us of our joy and make us doubt God's love. The battle is real, whether you believe it or not. The enemy has a target on you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, he just leaves you to yourself. Right? But we got to remember that our shepherd is with us. No need to fear. Look at this passage. The shepherd and his sheep walk through the valley. They don't run out of fear or anxiety. So you need to remember that God walks with you every step of the way. The shepherd and the sheep walk through the valley, through the dark valley, The shepherd doesn't keep his sheep in the dark valley, but they walk through it. God is with you through your trials. He doesn't keep you in your trials. But also the shadow of death is not death itself. Sometimes it can feel like death. Sometimes the fears that we have seem more dangerous than the actual realities that we're facing, right? But it's been said that the shadow of a dog can't bite you or the shadow of a sword can't cut you. But what we can know, just like the sheep know, that our good shepherd is with us, protecting us and comforting us with his rod and with his staff. But there's one last point that I don't want you to miss. Wherever there is a shadow, there is light. Amen, good news. Listen from Luke 1. Because of the tender mercies of our God, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Mm. That's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus is your good shepherd who is with you during the good times and the bad times. During the painful times, during the dark times, he will never leave you nor forsake you. 2 Corinthians 1, God says, God writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Here's a good word and here's a promise. God is able to comfort you in all your troubles. And so what we need to to do is, Lord, do I believe that to be true or not? If you don't believe that to be true, where are you going to go for comfort? Where are you going to run to? What are you going to grab? And I know we've all done that before, and what happens? We come up thirsty and hungry every time, dissatisfied. But notice, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Here's the bottom line. You don't have to fear when you're in the presence of enemies because you are in the presence of God. What's so beautiful about this passage is that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. That was a cultural act of hospitality to honor the person and to celebrate with joy the meal. Can you imagine that sitting in front of your enemies being honored and celebrated by your God, and he's anointing you with the Spirit in such a way that all of his provisions and all of his love and all of his mercy is overflowing your cup. What more do we need other than what God has given us in Christ? Psalm 23 is a classic for a reason. It speaks to our very reality that we need, that we are desperately needing to believe, but also to live out. Remember what unbelief does. Unbelief keeps us or or has us think that we have no shepherd. But if you're in Christ, you are in the life of your shepherd and and your shepherd is in you. And so each week, in the same way that um, the shepherd prepares a table in the presence of enemies, each week we celebrate communion, the table of the Lord's Supper. Isn't that beautiful? To be reminded that our good shepherd has laid down his life for his sheep. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and said, this is my body broken for you Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood, this is the the cup of my new covenant established by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So at sojourn, um, this is a a meal for the sheep. If you're not a sheep, if you haven't placed your trust and faith in Christ, I just encourage you and pray that you consider the good shepherd that you heard about in Psalm 23. Ask a friend or a family member or a pastor about Jesus, this good shepherd, if you wanna know more. At Sojourn, we have wine and juice. The wine is marked by twine. We have stations in the front, stations in the back. We have a gluten-free station right there in the corner. But here's what I want you to do as you prepare your hearts for communion. I want you to look at the reality that you wrote down in your bulletin. And as you consider that reality, I want you to offer it to your good shepherd. And as I pray us out in preparation for communion, I'm gonna read Psalm 23 one more time. And as you, as you hear God's word, hear how he's speaking into your reality, with his truths, with with his promises, with his love. And then don't rush to take communion. Don't make it an automatic response, right? As soon as the music starts up, I don't want you just to get out of your seat. But take time and be prayerful after considering the words of your shepherd speaking to you into your realities. Give him thanks. Say, Lord, I believe. Or say, Lord, help my unbelief but take communion in an honest and humble way. So let's pray.